You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders within the UK. I'm Ruth Pike. I help connect tech teams with contract tech talent, and today I am your host. Welcome to the ninth instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by a really great panel to discuss creating high performance teams. Before I delve a little deeper into the topic, I'm going to work around the room. So what I'd like to know is who you are, who you work for, and also what it is you're passionate about. So Dan, I'll go with you first, please. Hi there. Um, thanks for having me, Ruth. So my name's Dan Kellett. I am the Chief Data Officer for Capital One in the UK. Uh, Capital One's one of the, the UK's biggest credit card issuers uh, and my role brings together kind of a large number of different data specialists into to one centralised team. Um, so in terms of kind of what am I passionate about, uh, for me two things, one pragmatic data solutions, so how do we build data solutions that have a real tangible impact on, on our customers uh, and then secondly how do you create a culture which allows uh, for really great, diverse, uh, engaged teams to work together and, and deliver some amazing stuff. Brilliant, thank you. Ibra, over to you. Yeah, um, okay, so I'm Ibra. Um, I currently work as technical director at 26 Digital. Um, we're essentially a full-scale digital marketing agency uh, in Leeds, Manchester and London. Um, we essentially specialise in um, building enterprise web solutions using CMS platforms such as Optimizely and Braco on content. Uh, my role um, is threefold, uh, is essentially I run the development division, uh, so the day-to-day running and operational level. Um, I look after the overall technology vision and roadmap and um, I guess the last piece for obviously that I look at is um, creating a positive culture and focusing on the people, uh, ensuring that we're fostering a culture of I guess continuous improvement. Um, that the the biggest passion of mine is the people side. Um, I I I have a big passion for getting the best out of individuals. Um, I think more so than the technology side and the operational level. I think I think for me, um, really trying to foster a culture where people are happier, engaged, are feeling stimulated, and um, have a clear tra- kind of trajectory for progression um, is quite important. So I guess that's what I'm passionate about. Brilliant. Thank you both. Um, So now that I've established some context to each of you, let's move on to the topic and focus. So you're both here because we've got an interest in the topic of creating high performance teams. So we've got a number of questions to follow. So we'll go around the room. um, I'll ask, I'll go over the questions and then I'll basically go to yourselves and go over the subtopics and the reasons behind the questions that you've posed. So the first question I'm going to start with is yourself, Dan, um, and it is how do you ensure you attract and retain a diverse set of backgrounds, experiences and also skills? So do you want to set us off with that? Yeah, sure. And I I guess to start with, why is that important as well, right? Um, Yeah. So I, if I think about, so, so I've been at Capital One for the, the entirety of my career. I, I joined Capital One straight from university uh, as a graduate statistician and uh, I've been there ever since. And um, if I think back to, to the team that I joined at that point, we had a team of about seven or eight statisticians um, building statistical models uh, to, to make kind of key decisions on our customers. Um, and most people in the team came from the same educational background 
So uh, they uh, studied some kind of mathematical based degree at university, joined as a graduate. Um, and I think what you got there was a, a group of very solid academic backed statisticians. Um, and that, that was fine. And I think it, it, there wasn't anything kind of wrong with that. But what we were missing was actually the, the benefit that you get by bringing different skills and different experiences into the team. And that's been a real focus uh, of mine over the last five to 10 years. Um, the way that we've looked to try and do that is think about where's, the, where's your pipeline for great talent? Where, where is talent coming to you from? Uh, and how do you think about having kind of a real range of different approaches? I, I think for me, there shouldn't just be one way to get into the team. There has to be lots of different ways, and that's how you open up those different experiences and backgrounds. Um, so we've done all kinds of stuff. I mean, we still hire graduates. That, that's still a, a really important source for us. But actually, uh, we do a lot more things like rotations. We have a really strong relationship with our tech department, uh, and we make it easy for, for technology graduates to rotate into data science, for example, really get a good understanding of um, what we do, get involved in some of those projects. Now, the benefits for us is that they bring some really great software engineering expertise, uh, which ups the overall level of, of ability in the team. Um, it's great for the graduate because they get to see kind of what data science is all about and, and actually have a real tangible impact. Uh, and also it's just really great for the organization in general because you've got that sharing of ideas and skills. So the technology side has been really good, but actually the thing that I'm most proud of over the last couple of years is um, we've looked to push really hard to open up roles in data for people who currently work in our operation. Now, these might be people who are on the phones talking to our customers on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and we've been able to set aside roles that allow them to come into the data organization and pick up some of those technical skills that they don't have. But what we have found is they bring a huge amount of information about our customers, about our processes. That actually means that the analytics and the models that we build are way more insightful, way more impactful because they're bringing just all that context that we just don't have or we didn't have if you take a, a more standard approach to recruitment. So um, I think that for me is a really tangible example of, of actually if you go beyond your, your traditional box as to where you might go and source your talent from, it just brings in all these benefits that you might not have even thought about. Definitely, and it's helping people realise their true potential. It sounds like you're giving the people that haven't really maybe got that opportunity on paper and helping them understand, okay, this is where you can benefit or this is where you can realise your own skills and give them an opportunity, which is great. Um, April, what about yourself? I mean, what, what experience yeah. have you had in that? I think, I think for me, there's two sides to it. One is um, attracting new talent one is retaining existing talent and I think it's quite important to get both of them right because often what I've found in a lot of a lot of companies um, is the big focus is trying to get new talent in but what we forget is that there's actually a team of very skilled individuals who we need to do a lot more with um, to try and keep them and help keep them motivated so I guess just 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 some things that I've kind of come across and um, a lot of the things that I've been doing over the last few years is um, in terms of attracting new talent, you know, traditionally uh, you try the organic way or, or you go to an agency and you, you obviously try and bring talent in, but it's it shouldn't just stop there. Um, so 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 what we've done is we've started to 
um, can look at apprentice schemes. You know, we're looking at speaking to universities. Um, we, I've been looking talks at a few universities just to just to get um, kind of the message out there. Um, and and I guess you know we were all in that position at some point when we finished university and we were trying to get our foot in the door, and it was difficult. Whereas the world's a different place now. I think it's it's very important to to reach out to people who, in ways that um, you know that kind of appeals to them. So um, other things that we've looked at is speaking to companies like coding boot camps. You know, you've you've got people who may not have gone to university and who who've gone straight to a boot camp and targeting companies like that where you're getting a a regular um, stream of really really good people in skilled individuals um, who can do something really good. Um, I guess the other side of in terms of retaining staff, I guess once people are in the company, uh, making sure that they've got things like an attractive training plan, they've got a clear trajectory for growth um, and for progression, making sure that where, you know, especially from my point of view, um, within the tech aspect is is, is um, being on top of your game when it comes to uh, standing out against competitors or what's out there. So. Uh, being as innovative as you can, you know, going out as a technology team and looking at how taking a step back and not being reactive, but being proactive and looking at the bigger picture, thinking what can we do better. Um, and I guess the last the last thing um, for me would be, I guess, just just when you are trying to bring people in, um, you know, don't limit location. You know, at the end of the day, it's a completely different world, and we know that. And I think. Um, hiring people from wherever they might be in the country doesn't really matter. Um, and I think that that really helps you unlock potential that you may not have had. Um, but yeah, that's that's just some of the things that I've um, had experiences over the years. Yeah. Would you say that since the time of people working from home in the hybrid model, has yeah. that helped you significantly attract better talent? Yeah, I think it's in a way it's it's forced companies to look at that in a bit more detail. As before, it was like, well, we, you know, we want people in the office, we want people to be close to the office so they can commute in. Whereas now um, you can hire someone from London or from Bournemouth or from Peterborough and you might be sat in Manchester as that might, you know, that might be where your headquarters are. It doesn't really matter. And I think I've, I've found the benefit in that. I guess the challenge on the flip side is then how do you then try and make sure that you're promoting that collaborative way of working and ultimately it comes down to communication because there's only so much you can do when it comes to being as collaborative or uh, building that culture where people are not feeling like they're left out. Um, but I definitely think the work from home hybrid model has helped companies, especially in my opinion, um, just just reach out to, I guess, a wider set of candidates. Yeah, definitely. Have you what about yourself, Dan? Do you think that that opens it up to yourself or what? I do. I do. Yeah, I think it's changed changed the game. Uh, yeah. a little bit to be honest because I, I think what it does do is it forces organizations to really think about what what are their culture and processes um firstly that that make it the kind of hybrid model work um you know you need to make sure exactly to Brad's point um that that you've got the right communication streams in in place to be able to have uh, an effective team even if they're not all sat in the same place um but then I think the other thing is that it makes it a lot easier for uh, talent to find new roles uh, and perhaps um, people are not as sticky uh, as they might have been historically and I think what that means as a, an employee is you've really got to focus on what's what's the value uh, for for people to to work for you what's the culture that you're you're putting in place um, so yeah I think it, it's definitely brought a lot of that into focus 
on the flip side, do you think with the retained side, do you think that working from home has made it harder to retain any staff because it's easier for them to find other things? I think it's I, I could see it going either way, to be honest, yeah. because I think if, if you're as an organisation, if you're demonstrating the flexibility to to make it easy for people to balance their work with everything that's kind of going on in their lives actually that's really valuable that's a really important thing to be able to to offer to to employees um, so again I think it does become a bit of a, a splitter between organizations who thought through what their approach is and organizations that maybe haven't yeah, yeah I, would, I would also say as well that it's 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 different now because um, I I would say on through experience is usually when we were getting candidates in, they would really, really try and sell what you know what they can bring to the table. Um, whereas now it's the other way around, and it's actually well, actually a lot of companies are having to really sell what they can offer, not just from a technical perspective, but just from an overall how we work perspective. And I'm getting a lot of candidates asking me, well, what's a day in the life of? What does it look like? And what do you do for, you know, what? social events do you have on outside of work and that kind of thing it's 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 not you know i think when it when covid was kind of um uh having a huge impact on everything i think developers or just anyone wasn't really moving because they were happy they were in a job whereas now we're kind of seeing light at the end of the tunnel everybody is like actually i'm going to have a look at that job or that job and i guess they're more confident in moving away um so i guess you know the whole thing with the great resignation is just a you know i I find some truths in it because it has affected a lot of companies, but I guess that it's forced companies to change their tactic and change their approach. Done the same. Hundred percent, yeah, definitely. So I'll go on to Ibra your question. So you said the world of digital is really fast-paced. The market is also crazy. How do you ensure your teams are consistently feeling motivated in their roles with a clear vision or a clear view on their trajectory for progression? So I'll, I'll let you start because it is your your question. Yeah. So I guess from my you know from my point of view, I think that the, the one of my biggest passions is really trying to help individuals feel motivated in their roles um, and 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 working with them uh, to help understand what their vision is, what their passion is, etc. So you know I've obviously tried a number of different things um, to to help that. Um, and you know, for some people it might come down to salary, for some people it might come down to responsibility, for some people it might come down to working environment. There's people in different walks of life. So I think just some of the things that I've come across is 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 really trying to build that inclusive culture. And what I mean by that, because that's a very broad thing, but I guess <laughs> for me, it's ensuring that people in the team feel as though they have a seat at the table. So it doesn't matter if you're a junior, a senior a lead, you know, in a C-level position, it doesn't really matter. Um, everyone should feel that they 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 have the um, ability to speak their mind and really feel as though they're contributing to, uh, you know, kind of either a discussion or a decision-making kind of process. I guess the other part of it is um, giving people responsibility. So regardless of seniority, um, giving people um, responsibility of either a mentorship scheme or a specific type of task, something that they take ownership of that makes them feel part of the part of the family, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, the other most quite important one is, is is just making sure that you've got the the basics right. Now, 
it's it's a given, you know, when you've got a team that you're leading, you're having your one-to-ones, you're having your appraisals. But you'll be very surprised that in many in many companies there that it it doesn't happen as effectively as one as it should have. And on the back of that, it's it's about ensuring that when that when that time comes and you're talking to your teams and you're regularly you've got that face time, especially because you're working from home. Um, when it comes to that appraisal stage, you're not you're really trying to think of setting clear objectives, not not kind of willy-nilly KPIs with no tangible kind of outputs, but something that you can really, really measure that gives people the ability to feel as though they've really progressed. Um, and I guess the last aspect is, is you know, kind of the training side as well, where uh, don't just think about if someone starts on Monday, they need to be working on something, um, you know, by Wednesday or Thursday, give them time for training, send them on courses. Um, if they see something that they want to go to, you know, promote that kind of culture. And I think I think if if you're trying to tick off some of those boxes, you're on to a winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Move over to yourself, Dan. What do you, what what experience have you had there? Machine capital one's pretty fast paced. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I, <laughs> I don't, like a lot of stuff, uh, I would completely echo what Ibrahim just said. I I think as a as a leader, I think you have a responsibility to be really open as to um, uh, really um, creating a bit of a two way channel for people to firstly for you to be able to talk about what's happening and give kind of wider context but also that people feel comfortable to to bring their ideas and their concerns or their thoughts um and and that those will be listened to uh, I, I don't think everybody has an expectation that things will that their ideas are always right and that they will instantly happen but i think everybody should have an expectation that their ideas and thoughts are listened to at least mm-hmm. um so I think part of that then is making sure you've got the right culture, the right channels, the right um, meetings in place to give people those con- that context and, and the opportunity to feedback. Uh, um, in terms of the progression stuff, like people want to be doing interesting, challenging work. Uh, you know, we spend a large amount of our day working. Uh, the big thing for me is that I want to be doing stuff that's interesting, that's challenging, that's pushing me forward. Uh, and so, again, I think we've got a responsibility as data leaders uh, to to think about how do you create those opportunities for for people so that they can step into to things that are maybe outside of their um, current skill set or their current comfort zone in a way that allows them to to learn and develop. Um, without it being a massive risk. I think that's the other aspect. You don't want people to have to um, be scared about stepping into into a, a challenging or new role. So it's, it, there's a real balancing act, I think, there around making sure you give people the opportunities, but also in a way that, that allows them to, to, to learn in a, in a relatively safe way. Yeah, definitely. And in terms of that, when you said about new people starting, so say like if they started on, this is you, whether if you started say on a Friday, you expect them to do X, Y, and Z on the Monday. How, how what experience have you had, say, um, when you've been working from home or having to do that remotely, having to get someone new into your team and make them yeah. feel at home in your team without actually meeting them? Uh, I think from my side, that what 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 I always try and do is when someone starts, I I actually see that person in the office on the first day, uh, mm-hmm. just so that it's it's not completely remote. I mean, I started a new job um, 
in the middle of COVID and it was weird. <laughs> it was just strange because obviously, um, you know, I wasn't actually going into an office. I wasn't getting inducted in the in the way that I would expect. Um, so more often than not, I always try and make sure that at least on that first day, um, just to obviously help set up the laptops and all that kind of stuff, um, I'm in the office so I can see the new starter. Um, and then I guess the, 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 you know, can, the other aspect of that is making sure that they have something physical to take away with them that actually visualizes what they're going to be doing across at least the you know the first month because um it's not just about the first few days it's it's how do we set our new starters in how do we induct them in the right way um how do we ensure that they're they're you know they're actually progressing in the way that they feel that they need to progress as well so i always try and ensure that i give new starters at least a plan for the first month in terms of department heads that they're going to speak to any training that they need to be looking at um, and more often than not, many of the developers that I hire, they they actually end up on like a three month training course because of the nature of what we do. So technically speaking, it's not really until the first six weeks or so until they actually start doing something. But I am also a big believer of learning as you do. So there is an aspect of, you know, developers do get bored very quickly in terms of if they're, if they're having to train a lot, they want to just get stuck in and work on something. So the other kind of part of that is just get people on something so that they're just learning your processes and the ropes and that kind of thing as well. So it's 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 a you know it's different for the kind of people that you're bringing in. Yeah. yeah, it's difficult to make people feel comfortable, isn't it? Because if it's remote, some people don't really like being on video. Um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's really you know I've been in a lot of meetings where you know um, cameras might be switched off and and yeah. and it's and it's fine. It's not it's not an issue. But at the same time, it's we're, we're, we're trying to create that culture where you feel as though you're in the same vicinity, but you're not. But at least if you can see each other, it, it feels a little bit more like you can see the body language of the person you're speaking to and that kind of thing. And I guess, uh, but some people don't like doing that. And, and then you have to try and manage that where you're having to do a bit extra just to make sure that the person you're speaking to actually understands what you've just said or um, kind of understands the nature of the project that they're working on, etc. So it, there's, there's, there's lots of it to consider. Mm -hmm, definitely. So Dan, like with with work from home and stuff like that, have you had any experience with that where people aren't really comfortable on going on camera? How is it that you're trying to make sure that they're still involved in the team um, if they're a little bit shy and don't want to get involved that way? Yeah, and I, th I think it's about having a range of different um, forums. Like I, I, so quite often we'll, we'll have an, an old apartment all hands and it may be me talking about something and if yeah. I'm talking to to a wall of, of black screens that's fine because I think that's that's not the purpose of that meeting the purpose of the meeting is almost like information uh delivery um whereas I think if you've got a small team working on on, the, on a problem in a very collaborative way then I think people generally are much more comfortable um then switching on the screens and then kind of having those kind of interactions so i i think again it, it's all about being very deliberate very intentional as to what the purposes of different meetings are um i think the other thing that we try to do is make sure that not only do new starters have uh, a line manager but they have a mentor so someone who's maybe done the job that they're coming in to do that they can ask all those kind of technical questions for, but also a buddy as well so ideally someone not in the same team who they can just go hey this is a bit weird how does this work without worrying that that's going to get back to anyone 
Um, mm. So again, I think having being more intentional, having some of those roles in place makes people feel a bit more comfortable, makes them helps them to start to grow their network. Um, because I think that's one of the, my biggest concerns for for people who have joined during COVID is how are we helping them to to build those networks, which would have been much easier to to create if you've got everybody in the office and you can just tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, how do I do this? Um, so again, I think it's it's that intentionality that's needed. Yeah, definitely. And it's different now, isn't it? Because like when you're working from home, say you were in the office, you could literally go say, do you want to grab a coffee? And it's like a two to five minute chat. Whereas now on Teams, you, you block it out, it's 30 minutes. And it's like by the end of it, you've got all different teams message meetings and you go, OK, I've got like four or five in a row. There's most of your day gone. It's it's quite difficult, isn't it, to really where you draw the line as to how you still get those people involved without spending all your day on, on um, Teams meetings saying, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I think I think as well that, you you know, whilst whilst you're missing out on those kind of water cooler moments, right, where you can have a quick chat mm. and you've just solved something, um, what you also have to bear in mind is you're obviously not having to do that commute so you're saving a lot of time like i think at my last place we, we basically became even more efficient because we were we were working from home and it was crazy we're like well hold on a second and in the end it's like well people are saving like three hours of commute every day so they're not having to um wake up really early they're spending more time with their you know, their kids and the family etc so they're feeling a bit more refreshed so while some people really struggled some people really didn't and it, we kind of found that fine line um, but I do, I do agree with Dan earlier about the, the 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 having a buddy, um, you know, when when a new starter starts because it's daunting, it's daunting, and it shouldn't always be your line manager. Um, I certainly don't want to just have to be the person who always um, inducts the team because because it gets a bit boring and you should mix things up a little bit. So definitely having someone outside of the team who's completely impartial, who, who just checks in on you and sees how things are going, and and um, I guess it just applies more of a natural element to it as opposed to just you know a dev buddying a dev it just gets a little bit um yeah yeah, yeah. and it's it's think sometimes when someone starts and maybe they're a little bit shy and they don't know how to approach people to say oh i've just started and, and get and like get that relationship going it's like an automatic okay here's a person mm -hmm. that you can speak to on a day to day and i'm sure that yeah. just i'm assuming that would just make them feel really comfortable and um, because sometimes necessarily they wouldn't have that uh, the urge to go and speak to somebody and um, will not feel as confident to do so. So that's a, a really nice way for someone to get involved, I would say. Yeah, sometimes so, it's good to, to, to um, sorry, is it, yes, it's just, yeah. sometimes it's good to, 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 to get like, so we kind of hired someone from like coding bootcamp um, who did phenomenally well. And within a year, um, you know, had done exceptionally well and we thought, well, and then we brought someone else in who was also from a coding bootcamp. We thought, actually, why don't you buddy this person? Because essentially they've come from a similar type of background. So you probably complement each other well. And it just it just worked. It just clicked. It was it was really it was really easy. It was really simple. It was like they've been working together for ages. So you've just got to be clever with that aspect because the the worst possible thing is that you start a new company and you don't know what you're doing or mm -hmm. who to speak to and that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. So I'll go on to the next one. Is how do you measure outcomes for a high performing team? Dan, I'll start with you. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. So so I think. For me, it's all around being really clear. What is the business strategy? I think for me, everything has to tie back to that. Um, there's a potential risk if you so. So we have a, a centralized data team. Um, there's a potential risk with a central 
specialized teams that you, is that you build some kind of ivory tower uh, and end up working on a load of projects that everybody within the department loves and think are amazing but then you get to the point where you built something and um, it, nobody wants it because it either it's it doesn't meet the business strategy or it doesn't really answer the questions that are needed um so something that we push over and over again is really understand like how does this business work uh, get closer to our customers understand um what it is that a customer wants from a capital one cards uh think about kind of how the the business economics work and and the more you understand about that the more you're going to align the work that you do to to that strategy and, and to um the results that you're looking to drive um, now on a on an annual basis we kind of have some very clear um organizational imperatives that these are the things we're going to um differentially focus on during the year and actually if you can tie your work to those things then it makes it much clearer why you're doing it uh so so i think it's it, it's definitely kind of don't be an island it, it is all around really understanding what's going on elsewhere and how how does your work fit into the wider strategy and i think with your role in terms of data science i'm assuming a lot of of, of measuring outcomes is within your team <laughs> very specific yeah, definitely. So um, when it comes to uh, new models, for example, uh, a big thing we will do is is a bit of um, prototyping, build some models, and that will allow us to get a, a rough business case together. And, and then at least we can start to go, well, what's the ROI here on this piece of work? And before we go into something that is kind of fully fledged and, and may take weeks, months, um, we've got a really good idea on value. Uh, and in that way, we can get our kind of stakeholders bought in and everybody's aligned. It makes it much easier then to to um, to build to build a model and get to a good result. Now, it doesn't always work. I've, I've built more than my fair share of models that, that kind of never got used. But um, I think the more more you can kind of put values on things and, and types the business strategy, the, the higher your likelihood of success. Yeah, I suppose you learn more so from the failures than you do of the wins anyway, because then you can always learn and change the, change away. That's why I always <laughs> try and tell myself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Same. Um, Ibra, what do you think on that in terms of outcomes? How is it that you measure them? I think I think the, you know, I, so I'd agree with Dan on a few of this, where there are kind of two parts to it. One is at a more of an organisational level. Um, and then one is more at a an individual or team level. So I guess from an organisation point of view, where what you know what is your business strategy? I've done that earlier. It's well, um, what are we trying to achieve at that part? So you know, are we looking at um, kind of MPS scores in terms of our employees, employee turnover? Are we winning awards for being you know you know the best place to work, etc.? I guess that 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 kind of stuff might be pushed at that level. But I guess uh, when it when it comes to uh, more of a of a of a team level, I guess it's difficult because you have to try and find something to measure. Um, you know, I would say quality of work output, but how do you measure that? Because it's not just about having more bugs in your code. It's 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 actually looking at um, the the output of the work that individuals are um, kind of are delivering. Is it is it of good quality and measuring that in a way that is is realistic? Um, I would even I would you know, I'd even say things like employee satisfaction, where sending out I mean we send regular surveys out to individuals um, and teams to try and just 
be completely impartial and understand where we are going wrong or you know what could we improve what what could we build on top of um client satisfaction is another important metric i would say to really help the success not just our projects but as a business how we're doing um and just like other other bits that are probably not as big but just just useful are um like feedback so 360 feedback scores from peers you know the roi on training so let's say we send someone to a to a react summit which i did obviously last month i think it was and looking at well what 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 value have we you know, we gain from sending individuals to this training and is it actually valuable to the individual um and i guess just apart from that is just is just um as part of your appraisals and your one-to-ones i guess just making sure that that conversation is two-sided and um i guess it's it's quite easy to pick on um or pick up on uh, things that may or may not be going well um in your one-to-ones too yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So in terms of not going well, how is it you measure? So how is it that you've um your team isn't doing well? What steps have you taken then in the past maybe to to get them from a, a medium to low performance team to that high performance team again? I think the biggest thing is just getting getting buy-in because it's not, you know, as a as a so I started 26 just over a year ago. And what I wasn't gonna do is go in and start waving a magic wand saying I'm gonna fix everything. That 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 <laughs> isn't the approach. My approach usually is being a bit of a sponge initially and just absorbing as much as I possibly can to understand what is and isn't going well. Um, I I would go as far as carrying out some kind of a SWOT analysis, just really getting under the kind of under the hood of what we can do to try and improve the situation that we're in. Um, and then based on that, um, be very, very transparent and say just feedback to what what you may have found and say well this is what we found these are the key themes these are the key areas that we need to look at and then making it a collaborative um approach when it comes to resolving either the project not going well or something um, i guess in my experience when they when decisions are made collaboratively they help because you, you you're not only getting buy-in from the team but you're also getting that i guess accountability um from individuals as well so there's just a few things that I've done in the past and they seem to work um, yeah. quite well. Good stuff. Dan, if you, can you think of a time where your, your team has probably been underperforming um, and what steps you would have taken to, to get them back up to the top spot? So I think it's a momentum game, uh, which is like, I, I think sometimes the, the momentum stuff works in both ways. So I think if things aren't going particularly well, then potentially it then just builds and builds. Whereas actually, I think the opportunity to just come in and, and take a bit of a step back and go, let's true back to, to what is it we're trying to achieve? What are the things that we're going after? Uh, and then let's start with some small wins. So how, what can we do in the next week, the next two weeks, mm-hmm. that, that get something good on the board? Uh, and then you start to build that momentum back up again. So I, I think it's, you know, nobody is in, like enjoys a situation where things are not going particularly well so actually being able to go in and, and um take a step back and 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 really start to, to go well okay how do we all just pull together and start to get some quick wins i, I just feel like that's a really good approach yeah it's also just about being realistic like how many times have you sat in a room where people are like we're never going to hit this deadline but yeah. for some reason we're still trying to hit the deadline it's like well hold on take a step back as Dan's just said right take that step back and just be realistic if we're not going to hit this deadline what are we going to hit and if we don't know because in some 
kind of instances we don't know what we're going to hit it's 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 we need a level of direction so it's being that person who can facilitate and just get get the getting the answers in like even if it's in piecemeal and then providing a realistic kind of time scale in terms of when because, because usually when teams are underperforming it's because either someone doesn't understand something someone's not feeling motivated there's a deadline that's just not realistic and it's trying to take that step back and just think a bigger picture we might need to disappoint a client but at the same time we want to make sure that we've got a team at the end of it and everyone doesn't leave so it's finding that balance <laughs> and finding that line yeah definitely lovely um okay well I've covered all the questions that we that we've got in play and then some so I'm sorry for doing some quick fire questions <laughs> following the ones that you gave me um but yeah I just thought they flowed quite well so thank you for going into detail about your own experiences and and sharing the sharing the, the knowledge that you both have um so one thing I would like to ask you is if some say I'd like to ask for your best advice for someone who is either just starting a role that they, where they have a team or they are struggling with their team. So what would you say your best advice was to that person? So who wants, who wants to go with their best advice first? Two things for me. Um, one, don't underestimate the power of listening. Uh, I think it's really easy to go in uh, and, and put forward, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Take some time to listen to what's going on. Uh, the more people will... Uh, the more people see that you're you're an active listener, you're able to answer those help um, understand what's going on. The more they will confide, and actually, yeah, the the stronger team you'll get. So I think that's one thing. Um, and then I think the other thing is actually don't um, fall into the trap of of not doing anything. I think it's better it's better to um, make some decisions and try something in in the spirit of experimentation than to uh, just be stuck in a quandary not knowing what to do so I, I think it, you know very rarely can you can you not roll back so try something see if it works it might work if it doesn't try something different yeah that's it brilliant hey bro what would your best advice be um on my side i guess i would i would say for someone who's starting off building a new team um have a plan like have a have a clear strategy a vision but don't just do it in week one and um, listen and and try and understand what is going well what isn't um where the opportunities are and really try and understand how you can take that look at the overall business strategy or the organizational level and put a, a roadmap together for you and your team in terms of what that looks like and communicate it don't keep it to yourself tell people about it um and i guess the second part is i guess celebrate um success but deal with failure together because you're going to make mistakes you're going to hire the wrong people you're going to work on the wrong projects you're going to badly estimate something you're going to make decisions that are not right that doesn't matter it's fine we're, you know, we're all human so i guess deal with that together as a team um, as opposed to building a culture of finger pointing and that kind of thing brilliant thank you both for your best advice um so yeah i'll i'll leave it there i'll leave it on a high um so i just want to let everyone know this has been the evolution exchange podcast and i want to take this opportunity to thank Ibra and dan for providing all your insights into the topic and i want to thank everybody for listening <laughs>